Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unare. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Duhogo and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Angola's ruling party claims election victory, peace and security dominate discussions at the African Leadership Forum, and Nigeria's government urged to review its federal system. In economics news, South Africa and Mozambique to boost trade relations, and in sports news, two South African athletes win Diamond League titles. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Angola's ruling MPLA party has won the elections with party candidate Jean Lorenco now set to succeed President José Eduardo dos Santos, who has ruled for 38 years. The election commission in the capital, Luanda, says the MPLA party won just over 64% of the vote. The MPLA had predicted it would easily win, but the result showed a fall in support from the last election in 2012. In the run-up to Wednesday's election, the two principal opposition parties, UNITA and Kassel CE, alleged the campaign had not been fairly conducted. They complained that they had been deprived of media access and that voters in opposition strongholds were forced to cast their ballots at polling stations far from their homes. The leader of South Africa's opposition EFF, Julius Malema, and a leading Zambian politician, Xavier Chishimba, have been banned from entering Malawi to attend a new pressure groups conference. In a letter signed by Malawi's Minister of Internal Affairs, Grace Chuhume, and addressed to the two South African airways, among others, she has she declared the two prohibited immigrants in Malawi. This follows reports that Malema and Chishimba were to attend a conference of the new Transformation Alliance in Malawi. Organizers say that Transformation Alliance was founded to fight against corruption and hold leaders to account. Former African presidents are set to continue discussing whether further intervention by African states is necessary in Libya with the hope of reaching resolutions that can be implemented. This would include looking at internal factors shaping Africa's response to peace and security. Libya has been in a state of conflict since the ousting of President Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. The debate is part of a dialogue about peace and security on the continent taking place at the African Leadership Forum in Johannesburg in South Africa. The forum was convened by former South African President Tabumbeki and former Tanzanian President Benjamin Mkapa. Earlier, Mbeki criticized the three African countries which voted for the UN-backed intervention in Libya in 2011. It was South Africa, Nigeria and Gabon. And all of them voted for that resolution. If they hadn't, that resolution would not have passed. It's quite obvious that those ambassadors of ours in New York would have consulted capital with regard to that resolution. And it's capital which said to them, vote for it, Africans. I'm saying if those three hadn't done that, that resolution would have failed. Meanwhile, former Tanzanian President Benjamin Mkapa is skeptical that the current crop of African leaders can tackle the conflict and instability on the continent. I'm sorry, it may sound very arrogant, but the leadership is disorganized, the leadership lacks courage, and they don't have the guts even to defend their own national interest, let alone the continental one. 
And finally, forecasters in the U.S. are expecting a major hurricane to hit the coast of Texas. Hurricane Harvey has sustained winds of up to 140 kilometers an hour. The National Hurricane Center has warned that torrential rain could bring life-threatening flooding to the city of Houston. Energy companies have been evacuating staff from offshore platforms in the Gulf of Mexico. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The issue of peace and security in Africa took center stage at the first day of the African Leadership Forum in Boxburg, east of Johannesburg. A two-day sitting has been convened by the former presidents of South Africa and Tanzania, Thabo Mbeki and Benjamin Mgapa. Former heads of state from Nigeria, Tunisia, Malawi and Somalia led the robust debate. A key concern that was raised is how Africa continues to fail to resolve conflicts in countries which have been destabilized by either civil war, terrorism or regime change. Nama Bolani reports. At least six African countries, namely Libya, Burundi, Togo, South Sudan, Central African Republic and the Democratic Republic of Congo, are currently in fragile states with their governments struggling to resolve conflicts within. And this is why the topic of peace and security on the continent dominated the discussion at the African Leadership Forum on Thursday. Keynote speaker and former Nigerian president Olesigen Obasanju used Libya as a case study, saying the lack of intervention has left the country vulnerable. Libya's situation has remained unresolved since President Muammar Gaddafi was ousted and killed in 2011. The country continues to see unrest six years later. Obasanju says the instability creates an environment for extremist groups to infiltrate and take over. When ISIS leave Syria and leave Iraq and leave uh, everywhere in the Middle East, mm-hmm. the only place they may likely go now is Libya. And if they go to Libya, we will be, it will be unbearable for all of us from West Africa across to, uh, to Central Africa, up to um, Kenya, up to the north. I think it's only you here, President Abumbeki, that you may be. Maybe uh, safe, yeah, maybe safe. Obasanjo's address ignited a debate as to whether or not intervention by African states was necessary to stabilize Libya. Former South African President Thabo Mbeki raised a point to say that a UN resolution was passed to allow NATO forces into Libya with the help of three African states. It was South Africa, Nigeria and Gabo. And all of them voted for that resolution. If they hadn't, that resolution would not have passed. It's quite obvious that those ambassadors of ours in New York would have consulted capital with regard to that resolution. And it's capital which said to them, vote for it, Africans. I'm saying if those three hadn't done that, that resolution would have failed. This prompted Namibia's international relations minister, Natembo Nandi Ndaitwa, to question the interests of some of the key international role players. If you look at the conflict areas we have now, which are so prolonged, you are talking about places where there are strategic nature resources. And the question I always put is why these countries where there are strategic resources we have such prolonged conflict. Who is benefiting? Right. Is right. it ourselves? Is it outside? Is it a mix? That is really a challenge that we have to face in order to solve these problems. Former Tanzanian President Chakaya Kikwete admitted to their failure to intervene, citing how even South Africa's attempts were in vain. He added that there's a fresh attempt to be made next month by a high-level panel that he would lead. But his predecessor, Benjamin Mkapa, interjected to say the failure to intervene in Libya and other African countries in conflict were due to poor leadership on the continent. I'm sorry, it may sound very arrogant, but the leadership is disorganized, 
the leadership lacks courage and they don't have the guts even to defend their own national interest, let alone the continental one. On Friday, the forum will continue discussing this topic with hopes of reaching resolutions that can be implemented. This would include looking at international factors shaping Africa's response to peace and security. I'm Norma Bolani in Boxburg, east of Japan. It's 8.10 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Angola's ruling MPLA won this week's election. A poll official announced yesterday with party candidate Joa Lorenzo now set to succeed President Jose Eduardo dos Santos, who has ruled for 38 years. An election commission official in Luanda says the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola had won just over 64% of the ballot for the latest from Angola. We are now joined on the line from the capital, Luanda, by freelance journalist Angelo Coppola. Angelo, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. Now, Angelo, huge victory for the MPLA was as expected. Are those official results? Is this it now? No, it's not. In fact, these are going to be hotly contested results. We heard earlier uh, when we were sitting in the press conference that their initial partial preliminary results. So they've got three health warnings on those results. And, in fact, one of the UNITA's uh, senior officials was in the room when those numbers were released, and said that he wasn't quite sure how the CME, which is the Electoral uh, Commission here, actually got to their results. They are going to have a press conference at uh, 9 o'clock local time here this morning, and they're going to release some of their evidence that the CME, the Electoral Commission, have actually got the numbers wrong. Now, Angela, let's go back to Election Day, which I think was on Wednesday. What, what challenges did uh, um, the Electoral Commission face? What challenges did the parties face or the voters themselves? What did, just take us through the process of Election Day in Angola. Well, basically, there were some 12,000 polling stations scattered around the country, um, depending on the concentration of the population. So those 12,000 were manned by the different uh, electoral officials, and representatives from the, five, I think, six parties that uh, were contesting the elections. It seemed to flow smoothly. They used a lot of technology, lots of iPads, lots of uh, secure communications, um, scanning of fingerprints, double-check that all the voters were actually registered, and there were some 9.3 million of them. Um, that seemed to go smoothly. There weren't many long queues except before the poll, uh, those polling stations opened. Of course, we stayed in Luanda, so... We didn't go out into the rural areas. We know there were some issues in three of the provinces. And on Saturday, some 1,500 voters will have an opportunity to cast their votes because their stations did not open. So there were one or two challenges. We haven't heard of any more challenges. And the commission didn't indicate there were any other issues. But it seemed to have flowed quite smoothly. The president voted in his own private polling station, as it were, almost uh, on Wednesday. So basically, smooth smooth running, and we're not sure where UNITA is getting the data from that they're contesting these results with. So they might have had other observers watching and counting as well. Now, just speaking of observers, what are the observers from um, the African Union or the international community saying with regards to the election? Were the elections free and fair in Angola? Well, we don't know. In fact, I uh, approached one senior official from the U.S., who indicated that they've been told that they can't speak until they're given the go-ahead by the Electoral Commission. We're expecting a press conference today, maybe tomorrow, um, where they'll come out with their initial preliminary findings, I guess. Um, but we're not hearing about free and fair at the moment. I think the main issue was going to be always around the actual results themselves, the processes everyone agreed to, um, so there are no issues there. In terms of the electoral, um, in terms of those observers, we're going to have to wait and see. But you know what? I, from what we saw, we can't see any issues, but then again, we were only in one city in a very big country. Now, Angelo, let's speak about a very um, big issue that has been spoken about for quite some time, the fact that uh, um, Eduardo dos Santos is to remain MPLA party chief and uh, Joa Lorenzo will become president. Now, this whole uh, process and the structure of how they're doing things, what are ordinary Angolans saying about it? Is there any concern? Well, we targeted the youth, uh, the youngsters, the people who are voting um, 
who have been, in fact, were born during the reign of the Santos. These are the 30-year-olds, the millennials, and a little bit uh, older than that. They're all wanting change. They don't see enough progress being made with the incumbent party in uh, power. They want to try a different party to see if that party can do something differently. Of course, with the Santos running the party, he's essentially anointed Lorenzo to take over. And we're not sure, and the analysts here aren't sure, whether he has the political weight to do what he wants to do. He might be taking instruction from, of course, the party he works for, and also possibly by uh, from the leader of the party. So there's that conflict that may still show that there's no change or massive change that's going to happen. And the voters went to the polls, those that we spoke to, hoping for change in the party uh, structure and, in fact, in the party to take over. Now, let's speak about uh, Joa Lorenzo. Who is he? And uh, in terms of, um, you know, him being a presidential candidate, um, just briefly give us a a background on who he is and and going forward, what his plans are for the country. Well, he's a military leader. Um, He's quite unassuming. Um, It seems that he's fairly clean when it comes to uh, any allegations around uh, misbehavior or corruption. So he's got a fairly clean record from what we can ascertain. What he's going to do going forward, he's promised to fight corruption. He's promised to create an enabling environment for uh, for the country so that the country can get out of the recession it's in. Um, it's in a bad state at the moment. Employment numbers or unemployment numbers are really high. So he's made some promises. Whether he can fulfill those promises, of course, depends on whether he's allowed to do so because under the previous regime, it didn't really happen. And, of course, remember that the country is a single commodity country. Oil is its main revenue generator. And the oil price has been depressed for close to two years now. So there's that issue that he's got to face. He's got to find revenue to build the roads, to provide food, to provide water. And um, we, you know what? We'll have to wait and see how he, pl- how he plays this one. But, I mean, he's an unassuming guy, and hopefully he has a political way to do what he needs to do. And finally, Angelo, let's speak about uh, Jose Eduardo dos Santos' legacy. What legacy does he leave behind after 38 years? Well, you know, there's, there's a, a large population who is very loyal to him because he, he took the country out of that civil war. He, he put some stability on the table. He ruled in a very manner. He did what he thought was best for the country. But, of course, you know, there, there are all the allegations about the family support and, and the fact that his daughter is the richest woman in Africa and she didn't get there on her own. It's, it's almost like it's uh, How can I put this? Um, it's not a very clean, or the perception is it's not a very clean environment business-wise, and it is expensive to do business here, and it is difficult to, to do business unless you're prepared to pay the price, as it were. Angelo, thank you so much for that update, and uh, hopefully we'll get more information from you as and when um, it comes through and the finality of, of uh, um, Angola's election, which took place on Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us. Bon dia. That uh, freelance journalist and business correspondent at CGTN Africa, Angelo Coppola, joining us on the line from the capital of Angola, Luanda. Let's go back in time to today in 2004. Mark Thatcher, the son of former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, was arrested at his Cape Town home in South Africa. Thatcher was accused of providing about $275,000 to finance the botched coup in Equatorial Guinea. That's today in history in the year 2004. Former Tunisian President Mohamed Monsef Marzouki says efforts are being made by African leaders to sustain peace and security on the continent. Marzouki spoke to Channel Africa on the sidelines of the African Leadership Forum currently underway in Boxburg, east of Johannesburg. The two-day symposium held under the theme Peace and Security for an Integrated United Sustainable Africa aims to foster conversation and concerted efforts among activists, academics and politicians to end human rights violations in Africa. I can say that I'm optimistic. Um, many people would say, look, we have 21 countries in Africa having uh, problems, but I would say that we have also 30 
countries who don't have problems, you know, third countries who are now reaching a kind of stability. And I hope that uh, we are on the, on the good track. We are uh, getting rid from uh, of dictatorship, we're getting rid of, uh, you know, uh, many, 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 a lot of problems. We still have um, some big problems in some area in Africa, but the trend, the major trend in the, uh, the continent is that we're solving the problems one after the other. Now, the conference is happening at the time when the African Union has committed itself to ending conflicts um, in the continent by the year 2020. Do you think this target of silencing guns in 2020 is achievable, given what uh, we have seen in the continent recently? Look, we, we always must have objectives. It's very important to have objectives. It's not a matter to, to achieve them or not to achieve them. Because you, if you don't have objectives, then it will, you will never achieve them. So I prefer that to have uh, objectives like, uh, like the, you know, this. Uh, I, of course, uh, I don't believe that we are going to solve the problem in South Sudan, in Libya, uh, in Central Africa, uh, uh, in uh, Kasai, in the uh, Republic of Congo, in, in, in two years' time. I don't think so. But... I, once again, I think we should have objective and we should stick to them and do our, our best to, to achieve that. Now, Mr. President, bad governance and corruption have been some of the key drivers of a conflict here on our continent and chronic instability. Do you think there is a political will, Mr. President, on the part of African leaders to actually fight corruption and promote good governance? I would say that... Uh, 50 years ago, uh, even the word of corruption wouldn't have been accepted, you know. Um, but now everybody is talking about corruption. It's, it's, it's accepted that it's a threat to democracy, that it's a threat to peace and stability and so forth. So we, we, uh, uh, I think we are, we are going forward uh, and uh, we are tackling the problem. And I, I do think that a lot of leaders know they know very well that the corruption is no longer accepted. They are watched very carefully. And uh, uh, I know that civil society everywhere in our countries are getting more and more involved in uh, combating corruption. So I'm very optimistic about the issue. But the problem is that really it's a deep, deep-rooted uh, problem in our society, in all Africa. And with tackling and resolving this problem would take problem. But we are, uh, once again, I think we are on the good track. Now, the continent of uh, Africa is a young continent in the fact that the majority of uh, people who live here are young people, but most of these young people, Mr. President, don't have jobs uh, which actually lead to them to engage in criminal activities. How can the continent uplift the young people so that they can participate in the peace-building process? Of course, it's the main problem. Uh, we in Tunisia have had this revolution in 2010 because of the employment of young people. You know, we currently we have about 600,000 young people uh, without jobs. And this is a drama for the whole country because those, uh, those young people, you know, the, uh, now they, they, they can't uh, immigrate to, to the north. You know, it's more and more difficult. And well, without having a job, it's... Uh, uh, it's a drama for the labs. I, I, I don't understand. I, I, I know uh, this has been my problem, and I think it's the problem of all the African leaders. Now, uh, I doubt that there is a solution very, very, very soon. We have to tackle the problem. How to tackle the problem? Of course, it's economic development. Economic development means that uh, stability. Stability means that also we try to have this uh, uh, African common market because we we. we we are uh, prevented from developing our economy because of the borders, artificial borders and so forth. So, uh, uh, yes, it is a problem, yes, it's a problem, but I hope and I think that, you know, Africa is now uh, one of the leaders uh, country in the world in matter of growth, you know. So we can expect uh, that uh, this trend would continue. And I hope that we will solve the problem, but it, it will take time. Now, another problem that is troubling the continent, Mr. President, is this issue of uh, leaders who don't want to, you know, uh, leave power. And what do you think can be done in order to make sure that these leaders are held accountable and leave office when their term ends? Because surely that is one part of the problem that contributes to instability on the continent. Once again, look at uh, what happened in Africa uh, 50 years ago, 
and look what happened now. Now we have a lot of uh, retired uh, uh, African leaders like myself. You know. This would have been uh, inimaginable in, uh, in the 50s or the 60s. So once again, Africa is on the good, uh, on the good track. Nobody realized it, but once again, let me tell you that in the 50s or the 60s, no African leader would leave the, 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 the power. Now a lot of them are leaving, and more and more they would leave. So it's a trend, it's a major trend, and uh, uh, you have just to be patient. I think in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, you would not see uh, you know, uh, uh, African leaders like, uh, you know, uh, like I, I'm not going to name so many of them, you know. Uh, in fact, leaving, leaving power uh, dead or uh, exiled or in prison. That was former president of Tunisia, Mohamed Monsef Mazouki, speaking to Channel Africa's Kumbela Munjelele. In celebration of Women's Month, Channel Africa, together with the J.M. Busha Investment Group, will be holding a discussion on African women and entrepreneurship. Tune in to www.channelafrica.co.za or DSTV at 802 on the audio bouquet on the 29th of August 2017 for the conversation on Africa Midday from 1200 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The South African government's proposal to lead regional efforts to harness natural gas resources to boost industrialization will top the agenda during the South Africa-Mozambique Binational Commission, which gets underway at the Mozambican capital, Maputo, this morning. President Jacob Zuma and his host, Felipe Nusi, will co-chair the high-level ministerial meeting, which will review the state of bilateral trade and investment between the two neighboring countries. Tsepoe Kaneng reports from Maputo. On Sunday, during the SADC Leader Summit in Pretoria, President Jacob Zuma called for the establishment of a regional body to develop a strategy to facilitate the exploitation of the vast natural gas resources in the region. In a speech, President Zuma said the discovery of natural gas resources in a number of southern African states, including Mozambique, presented investment opportunities which will bolster regional industrialization drive. President Zuma says the proposed committee will be in charge with ensuring the inclusion and promotion of natural gas into the regional energy mix. Africans must benefit from the Africans' resources. We are proposing the establishment of an interstate natural gas committee to share learning for regional gas development and to prepare for the development of the wider gas economy. As such, the inclusion and promotion of gas into the regional energy mix will facilitate an increase in universal access to energy as well as industrial development in SADC. Energy experts have argued that the new offshore natural gas finds along the Mozambican coast are expected to be a game-changer for the country and the southern African region. The country has an estimated recoverable natural gas reserves of between 15 trillion and 30 trillion cubic feet, enough to meet one year's gas consumption by the United States of America. The recent launch of about 865-kilometer gas pipeline, which runs from Timani in Mozambique to Secunda in South Africa, has been hailed as one of the major cross-border public-private partnership investment initiatives on the continent. South Africa's Energy Minister Mamuloko Kubai says the exploitation of vast natural gas reserves will be beneficial for the SADC region. It's very crucial because industries for them to run, they need power. So we have to ensure that our collaboration is to keep the lights on for not only South Africa but for the region. So that is very critical. More and more industries, if they are built and when they are built, they will need energy. So it's important. Whatever the plans that are there in SADC and within countries that are um, our neighbors, they will need electricity, they will need energy. Now, we have been the major role players as South Africa on the energy side providing energy for our counterparts in the region. So if we can keep our lights on, we'll impact on them. 
Both President Zuma and his Mozambique counterpart Felipe Jacinto Nusi are also expected to discuss progress made in the curbing of cross-border poaching of endangered species such as rhinos, including joint cooperation in mega-infrastructure development projects. Tsepo Ikaning in Maputo, Mozambique. South Africa's opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, wants public relations company Bell Pottinger to make a full disclosure on its contracts with the Gupta family. This comes after the British-based PR company was found guilty by the UK's Public Relations and Communications Association for breaching its code of work done for the Gupta family. The DA had complained to the association about Bell Pottinger's campaign that allegedly fanned racial tensions in South Africa. Tsepomungwai has more. The PRCA didn't say which clause Bell Pottinger may have contravened. The UK public relations industry body is expected to release a written ruling in the first week of September. The ruling will give details on the violation. The DA's Pumzi Lefondam says the company must come clean. We call on the PRCA to make sure that a strong sanction is handed down against Bob Pottinger to so the message is sent to PR companies that they cannot engage in unethical conduct. We also call on, P- on Bob Pottinger to make sure that they pay back all the money that they earn from the Gupta accounts and uh, provide full disclosure of the Gupta contract. The British-based PR company was hired by the Guptas amid allegations that the family may have played a role in some of the cabinet's appointment, such as the Minister of Mineral Resources, Museben Zwani, and the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Dens van Royen. It's alleged that the brief by the Guptas to Bell Pottinger included campaigns aimed at highlighting white dominance in the local economy. What was the brief? We haven't seen the detail of the brief. What were they briefed to come and do in South Africa? The controversy surrounding Bell Pottinger has already caused the PR company some of its clients, including Investec and Brand SA. I am Tsepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with San Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Angola's ruling MPLA party wins the elections with party candidate Jean Lorengo now set to succeed President José Eduardo de Santos, who has ruled for 38 years. The leader of South Africa's opposition EFF, Julius Malema, and leading Zambian politician Sevier Chishimba have been banned from entering Malawi to attend a new pressure groups conference. And the United Nations calls for a temporary halt to the fighting in the Syrian city of Raqqa to allow the remaining civilian population to escape. Those are the stories making headlines. Some politicians in Nigeria say the only agreeable basis for re Structuring the Nigerian Federation is to implement the principles of true federalism. They say their concern is not with the way government is actually conducted, whether well or badly conducted, but rather with the way it is formally organized in terms of its structures, the power structures or power relations. Colin Zatohengbe has more. The call for restructuring has continued to gain strength by the day, primarily because of certain developments in the country, which have rubbed off painfully on a number of ethnic nationalities and the seemingly inequality in the distribution of Nigeria's common wealth and social amenities. Part of the issues which included the recent call for secession by parts of the country and the unprovoked attack on defenseless people across the nation by Fulani Hesmen, as well as the terror campaign by Boko Haram has largely been seen as a clandestine effort to Islamize Nigeria in addition to the lopsided appointment of federal posts by the Nigerian government which reflected the not taking up more position than other parts of the nation. Nigerians from different walks of life began a call for restructuring of the political and socio-economic system of the country as a way out of a possible chaos that could ensue if steps were not taken now to suit the nerves of aggrieved 
people. But Vice President Yemi Osibajo says a few years ago when Lagos State championed the agitation for certain level of autonomy for states of the federation, the response was so poor. It's not so much the restructuring. It is more the fact that there is oil, there is money to be shared. When there was oil, we went to court saying, let us have uh, fiscal autonomy. Let every state keep its mind. This was the so-called resource control case and all of that. Several states refused to back Lagos State's call at that time. In fact, practically every state, except four states, agreed that there should be fiscal restructuring. Everybody else disagreed, said no. We said, okay, VAT, VAT. We also went to court on VAT. We said, hey, look, let everyone keep the, the VAT. It was widely opposed by most states. So you see, even this call for restructuring, you know, sometimes, you know, you find that there's very little, there's very little sincerity around it. Even a lot of the senators that are talking about restructuring and all of that. I mean, the question is, when the rubber really hits the road, how many people are really going to be able to stand up and say, let's have complete autonomy of the states? Along with the call for restructuring came the former vice president, Atiku Abubakar, who says only restructuring can save the day in Nigeria. Restructuring means changing the structure of our country to take power from the elite and give it back to whom it belongs, the people. It will help to bring the benefits of the change that our people were promised in the last general elections but have not seen yet. We need restructuring in order to address the challenges that hold us back, which restructuring alone can help us address. This is the truth, period. To me, Restructuring means making changes to our current federal structure so it comes closer to what our founding fathers established. Only by restructuring can we guarantee unity, equity, and security for our nation. In line with the same thoughts, is Chief Emeka Anyoku, the former Secretary General of the Commonwealth, in his view, there is need to return to the state of political structure of Nigeria at independence, while the present political structure will serve as development units. Restructuring will be a panacea of most of our current challenges. The powerful center that we have, which breeds the do-or-die competition for the control of that center, I would suggest that the 36 states, they should remain as parts of the six federating units. They should become, say, development zones within the six federating units. Attempt by some notable politicians to peg the agitation for restructuring as a war cry of those who lost out in the last general election was met with a defiant booing of no of the former governor of Edo State and ex-president of the Nigerian Labour Congress, Adam Soshiomole. There was a power change which Nigeria voted for and suddenly people who have simply just lost out just find a new buzzword called restructuring and many of these people have been in as it were now even members of the ruling party have begun to dance to the music of restructuring because of some of the underlying factors which probably include electioneering gains for 2019 whichever way the agitation takes it's now obvious that nigerians are not satisfied with the present political system which in the view of many is a military arrangement for ulterior motives. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins at Tohingwe for Channel Africa News. Let's go back in time to today. In 2006, Uganda agrees to a conditional truce with the rebel Lord's Resistance Army to end a 19-year insurgency in the north of the country that has left thousands dead. As today in history in the year 2006. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Other African countries will not be able to benefit from the recently launched African Regional Centre of the New Development Bank for now. This is according to the new ambassador of the People's Republic of China to South Africa, Ling Songtiang. He was speaking at his first press briefing as an ambassador in the capital, Pretoria. Songtiang says going into the upcoming BRICS summit held in China next month, countries must commit to maintaining stronger partnerships. Komuzumo Pulane has more. Ambassador Ling Sontian has been serving on China-Africa relations for many years. He has served as ambassador first to Liberia, then Malawi, and has visited about 30 countries across the continent. Speaking at his first briefing, Sontian says there are priority areas that the relations between South Africa and China will focus on. First, the priority area for our bilateral cooperation, infrastructure development. Infrastructure must be and should be improved and upgraded. And that is something we are ready. That is the key to the sustainable development to anyone else. The second is human resources development. And the third area is industry and production capacity. Also very happy to tell you that China is ready to open the market for your agricultural products. You will soon, now, before the end of this month or the beginning of this month, the first container of beef from your country, from this continent, where export was shipped to China. You are South Africa, you are the first country in this continent to export beef to China. Talking about the African Regional Center of the New Development Bank that has recently been launched in Johannesburg, Son Tian had this to say. The other country of this continent, they are not a member of BRICS. So up to now, they cannot benefit from this uh, branch. But in the future, of course, even uh, they would like to open these branches, this regional center to the whole region, step by step. Perhaps now we have the time, the headquarters and the top five heads of state will work together to, to make sure this regional center will put into full operation, not only, not only to benefit your country, but also the region as a whole. So I think we need some more time to work for that end. At the welcoming briefing of the ambassador was also a send-off ceremony for the Chinese government scholarship recipients. The recipients from South Africa will depart for China to pursue their undergraduate, postgraduate and doctoral studies in various fields. Vuyo Boy is going for a postgraduate degree again in China where she completed her undergraduate program. She shares her experiences. I went to study an economics degree undergrad and you're going to a, to a country that you have no idea how they speak and so forth. So it was really scary as well as it was really, I was really excited. I intend to come back to South Africa and use whatever uh, knowledge that I have gained in China um, because they've got a lot of systems in place, incredible systems in place, especially when you look at the economic side of things in China. For me, it was the basic standard of living that is, a, that is very convenient, including the transportation and so forth and everything else. So you learn a lot, and the first thing that you see is what can I gain from here that I can, uh, you know, I can impart in the South African economy? Another of this year's recipients is Busiso Bakana, who is going to pursue a doctoral program in computer applied technology, specializing in artificial intelligence. This is what he had to say. I'll, I'll come back as a doctor, obviously, and I said I want to open a bank when I come back. I know maybe it's a huge uh, dream. But there's a space that I'm, I want to tap in as a, on the artificial intelligence in the financial sector, you know, financial services, try to solve those problems. Obviously, the contract that I've also signed, the contract that I knew that I have to come back to the country, I've also resigned at work intentionally, knowing that I'm risking a lot of things. Ambassador Ling Son Tian has urged the media to report positively about the African continent. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Kamuzumu Pulani in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. 
Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Our economics news update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Thanks, Lulu. German prosecutors say they're investigating four current and former executives of South Africa's Steenhoff for suspected accounting fraud. Steenhoff denied any wrongdoing in response to allegations published in the German monthly magazine, which said that the investigation involved Steenhoff's CEO, Markus Juster, and other senior managers. The prosecutor's office in the northern German city of Oldenburg near where Steinhoff's European business is based, said on Thursday that it suspected that the revenue figures had been inflated. The South African government's proposal to lead regional efforts to harness natural gas resources will top the agenda during the South Africa-Mozambique Binational Commission, starting in the Mozambican capital, Maputo. South African President Jacob Zuma and his Mozambican counterpart Felipe Nyusi will co-chair the high-level ministerial meeting on bilateral trade and investment. Energy experts believe the new offshore natural gas finds along the Mozambique coast will be a game-changer for the country and the southern African region. South Africa's Energy Minister Mamoloko Kubai agrees that exploitation of the vast natural gas reserves would be beneficial for the SADC region. It's very crucial because industries for them to run, they need power. So we have to ensure that our collaboration is to keep the lights on for not only South Africa but for the region. So that is very critical. More and more industries, if they are built and when they are built, they will need energy. So it's important. Whatever the plans that are there in SADC, and within countries that are um, our neighbours, they will need electricity, they will need energy. Now, we have been the major role players as South Africa on the energy side. Nigeria has raised 179 million US dollars in a bond auction on Wednesday. The debt management office offered maturing bonds in 2021 and 2027, leading up to 2037, but investors shunned the auction to take positions in the relative liquid secondary market. The debt management office paid 16.8% for the 2021 and 27 bonds and 16.9% for the 2037 bonds. Rwanda's national carrier, Rwanda Air, will start plying new routes to three West African cities at the end of September. The three weekly flights to Konaki in Guinea, Bamako in Mali and Senegalese capital Dakar will be connected via the airline's new hub in Cotonou, Benin. The airline already serves three other destinations via Cotonou, including Libreville in Gabon, Brazzaville in the Republic of Congo and Abidjan in Cote d'Ivoire. Meanwhile, Air Namibia has announced it will add Lagos and Accra to its route network effective from March next year. A media release by the airline says the expansion is to grow the business and increase the airline's footprint on the African continent. The route for the two destinations will be Venthuk Lagos Accra, while the return will be Accra Lagos Venthuk four times per week using the A bus. A319-100 aircraft. The departing schedules from Ventuk will be Sundays, 
Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. The US dollar trades at 13.18 in South Africa. It's at 10.10 in Botswana and at 8.95 in Zambia. 0.78 to the British pound and 0.84 to the euro. Gold on thousand two eight six dollars. Platinum nine seven three dollars an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at five two dollars four five cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoku for Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Msibudi Makura. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. And starting off with athletics news, South Africans Luvo Manyonga as well as Kasta Semenya were in top form on Thursday evening, adding IAAF Diamond League Series crowns to the board titles they won respectively in London just a couple of weeks ago. Long jumper Manyonga and middle distance runner Semenya both won their specialist disciplines at the first of two finals in the Diamond League Series in Zurich, Switzerland. Now Semenya, who lifted the Diamond League season crown last year, secured another convincing victory in the women's 800-meter race, crossing the line in a time of 1 minute, 55.84 seconds. Manyonga was equally dominant, holding off countryman Rashwal Samai, who grabbed second position. Now the 14th and the final leg of the Diamond League series, which will incorporate the season deciders in 16 remaining disciplines, will be held in Brussels, Belgium, on the 1st of September. On to rugby news, our Springbok women's sevens team coach Renfred Dezel is confident that his team will be well prepared by the time they jet off to Tunisia for their Rugby World Cup qualifier in the Rugby Africa Sevens tournament next month. The team is currently preparing for the tournament in Stellenbosch after their week-long training camp in Porchestrom, but Dezel says he has limited players to work with. At the moment, we only have eight girls that, that can train. The rest will the rest will come in next week. Three of them are at the university, and one is a fire lady in Durban. So on Sunday they will come in, and we will we'll have a much bigger squad to train with. They they, they will. There's it's only niggles, and I think three girls coming back. So this week we we use it to do prehab and rehab and cardio sessions. No no field trainings and. Start coming Monday and we have a full squad to train. We have two new new players, youngsters from Western Province in the squad. They went with us, us to Ports two weeks ago and they 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 have the talent so we will groom them. There's also a team that will go to Japan two weeks before Tunisia tournament and hopefully we can put them put them to the test over there. Dezel's side will head to Tunisia as the defending champions of the Rugby Africa Sevens tournament, but know that Kenya will provide a tough test in the competition. South Africa have won the competition for the last three years. In Tunisia, though, the players can expect temperatures of 40-plus degrees Celsius, but Dezel says that they will be ready for any conditions. The, 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 the past four years we've been playing in these Africa tournaments. One of it was a World Cup, not Olympic qualifier. And now it's for it's another it's another one for for World Cup, and also this Commonwealth Commonwealth tournament next year. And we use these tournaments as as a nice build up for for our new season. And it's and it's a perfect and it's at the right time for for our new season coming up in starting in December. So yeah, these youngsters they will they, we will see how they how they go and hopefully we can we can get them into the system at a regular basis. I think. We, we are preparing for, for any situations. Currently here in, in Western Cape, it's very cold and we, there's no, we, this couple of days that's warm, but whatever whatever weather we, we're ready, we're not match fit at the moment, but training-wise training, training wise we, we're ready. But I think the weekend pots helped us a lot, training training under the altitude and, and play games against pots and the Leopold skills. 
South African Women's University football team beat the United States of America 1-0 to advance to the semi-finals of the World Shooting Games currently underway in Tepe, Taiwan. Midfielder Biane Kolosa scored the only goal in the 74th minute. The team dominated the Americans and should have won by a bigger goal margin. Coach Tina Singo Mbulisesa, the scoreline was not a true reflection of the match. The results are not the true reflection of the game. I think we totally dominated throughout the game. Uh, first half, we had chances uh, where we thought it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, but we kept on missing. Uh, we expected, we were expecting a tough game. Not that I'm disrespecting USA, but uh, we uh, expecting a game similar to to Russia. As I sports news at the hour, back with more sports news in the next hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, Angola's ruling party claims election victory. Peace and security dominate discussions at the African Leadership Forum and Nigeria's government urged to review its federal system. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsura Magaza and Jane Rambutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.ca.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277 or WhatsApp on 277-630-03327. Are taking us to the top of our for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Vusinova with the song titled Ndikutandile. <laughs>
Good morning and welcome to Channel Africa, broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. First, let's cross over to the news desk for the latest news from Africa and abroad. In the headlines, Angola's João Lorenco sets to succeed outgoing President José Eduardo dos Santos, who has ruled for 38 years. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma calls for joint efforts in confronting economic and political challenges facing the international community and a judgment by a Ugandan court denounced by some as the latest in a series of anti-Muslim rulings. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. Angola's ruling MPLA party has won the elections with party candidate Jean Roenko now set to succeed President José Eduardo de Santos, who has ruled for 38 years. The election commission in the capital, Luanda, says the MPLA party won just over 64% of the vote. The MPLA had predicted it would easily win, but the results showed a fall in support for the last ele- from the last election in 2012. In the run-up to Wednesday's election, the two principal opposition parties, UNITA and CASA CE, alleged the campaign had not been fairly conducted. They complained that they had been deprived of media access and that voters in opposition strongholds were forced to cast their ballots at polling stations far from their homes. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has called for joint efforts in confronting economic and political challenges facing the international community. He was speaking at a ceremony to welcome new ambassadors to the country. Zuma says the world faces growing insecurity caused by multiple factors such as increased inequality, competition for scarce resources and violent acts of terrorism. Zuma further says these challenges require collective effort from the international community. It is, therefore, our collective responsibility to work towards the realization of a peaceful and a prosperous world in which humanity can thrive. The reality is that as things stand, unresolved inter- and intra-state conflicts compound our challenges and continue to undermine our efforts aimed at achieving peace security and shared prosperity. Zuma has also expressed concern at recent developments on the continent and in Europe. Permit me from the onset to reiterate our condolences to our brothers and sisters in the Democratic Republic of Congo and Sierra Leone who have recently lost their beloved ones due to catastrophic flooding and mudslides. We would like to again wish those injured a speedy recovery. Our hearts and thoughts are also with the people of Spain who have lost their loved ones during the recent terrorist attacks. Former African presidents are set to continue discussing whether further intervention by African states is necessary in Libya with the hope of reaching resolutions that can be implemented. That would include looking at international factors shaping Africa's response to peace and security. Libya has been in a state of conflict since the ousting of President Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. The debate is part of a dialogue about peace and security on the continent, taking place at the African Leadership Forum in Johannesburg in South Africa. The forum was convened by former South African President Tabumbeki and former Tanzanian President and Benjamin Mkapa. Earlier, Mbeki criticized the three African countries who voted for the UN-backed intervention in Libya in 2011. It was South Africa, Nigeria, and Gabon. And all of them voted for that resolution. If they hadn't, that resolution would not have passed. It's quite obvious that those ambassadors of ours in New York would have consulted capital 
with regard to that resolution. And it's capital which said to them, vote for it, Africans. I'm saying if those three hadn't done that, that resolution would have failed. And finally, a judgment by a Ugandan court has been denounced by some as the latest in a series of anti-Muslim rulings. The court earlier this week jailed four members of a Muslim sect for life on terrorism charges. The Kampala High Court sentenced Sheikh Yunus Kamocha and three members of his tablik sect to life in prison, while two others were given 30 years each. A day earlier, the same court had acquitted Kamoga and 13 others of murder and attempted murder of leaders of two rival Muslim factions on the same evidence. The apparently contradictory verdicts have left some observers suspicious. Recapping the top stories, Angola's João Lorenco is set to succeed outgoing President José Eduardo dos Santos, who has ruled for 38 years. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma calls for joint efforts in confronting economic and political challenges facing the international community. And a judgment by a Ugandan court have been denounced by some as the latest in a series of anti-Muslim rulings. I love the show. Good and welcome to Let's Talk About It, a show for the young people of an African continent. My name is yours truly, Jongi Kalabo Bonke Abalitanda, Joe Mangria. Maybe today I should be Ras Joe. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Your hair allows it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm not alone in the studio as usual. I'm with... I am TD Tabisa Jala. DJ Wallace.